Poetry of Oles Bernek put to music by an unknown artist. That was Vichna Taina Klechenas, Eternal Mystery Calls Us. Vitaio vas vsihtor hi radio suhechi na radio peredaciu nash holos radio krinskoho korinja. Pri mikrofoni pavina makwari diakuyush chorishole perebutizimnoyu nastupnu hodenu. Memaimo dushitsikavi novene nasjunishi prahami itakoj chudovu krinsku muziku. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I'm your host Pavlina. Thank you so much for joining me. We've got a great program lined up for you on Ukrainian Jewish heritage, a look at the role that museums play in understanding history and applying it to our lives today, as well a book review about the assassin of Stepan Bandera. So stay tuned for all of that. We've also got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is a brand new group from the United Kingdom. They are called Kov Cossacks. And here they are now from their recently released EP and a song called Beyond Yasadila, kind of taking a traditional Ukrainian folk song just a little beyond. Kov Cossacks with Beyond Yasadila. Ручейку, хай я тобі поворожу, 
Коча циганка, коча молодая, всю широ правду расскажу. Коча циганка, коча молодая, всю широ правду расскажу.
And now, Ukrainian food flair with Sylvia Molnar. Tips for Ukrainian cooking. Hello. Whipped navy beans form the base of a traditional ritual Ukrainian Christmas dish. However, this flavorful and nutritious dish is delicious any time of year, and you don't have to be Ukrainian to enjoy it. The recipe that I'm going to share with you calls for dried beans. If you're pinched for time, you can substitute canned beans, one 14-ounce can per cup of dried beans. But for taste and nutritional value, dried beans are best, and of course, traditional. This is my family recipe for Ukrainian navy bean dip, and it will make about three cups. You'll need the following ingredients. One pound, which is about two cups, of dried white navy beans. One large onion, finely chopped, quarter cup olive oil, four cloves garlic, salt, and freshly ground pepper to taste. Here's how you would do this the traditional way. Soak beans overnight in water. The next day, drain the beans, add fresh water to cover, and cook on low heat until tender, about two and a half to three hours. My mom used to drop in a whole onion and boil it with the beans for extra flavor. For modern cooks who like to save time, it only takes about 30 minutes to cook the beans in a pressure cooker. You could also cook the beans overnight in a slow cooker. When the beans are cool, drain and mash. Saute the chopped onion in oil until very tender. Be careful not to scorch them as it will alter the flavor and also won't look so nice. Add the sautéed onions to the mashed beans, crush or mash garlic and add to the bean mixture. Mix well. Season to taste. Reheat if serving hot or serve cold. Either way, it's absolutely delicious. So try it. It's Ukrainian. This has been Ukrainian Food Flare from the Nasholos Audio Archives. Yeah. 
Признайся, і хто приніс раки, признайся, поки мене батько питався, а мені якісь хішки убрався, через тим та через городу, наробивши баткові шкоду. Не приходжу я ковенічу, бо буде сторожа піпічу, мене батько й мати вселають, а що тебе ніяк не Ukrainian-American group Kurinya from their recently released EP and a traditional Ukrainian folk song about a young man. That's one of those courtship songs, Yakiv, and that translates as Joseph. Up next, coming north of the border from Montreal, we have Lesya and a more contemporary rendition of a traditional Ukrainian folk song. It's called Chervonaya Kalinoinka, which translates as the red gelder rose or highbush cranberry. Червона, я 
And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, Ontario. Welcome to Ukrainian Jewish Heritage on Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I'm Peter Baker. History, Trauma, and the Museum Space Museums can offer many faces to the world, from dusty collections of artifacts to dramatic arenas outlining or avoiding compelling national or cultural narratives. A recent lecture sponsored by the Center for Urban History of East Central Europe in Lviv looked at the role museums play in tackling difficult issues in history. Vadim Altskan, originally born in Ukraine, is a historian specializing in Eastern European, Balkan, and Jewish history. He is a project director for the International Archival Programs at the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum's Center for Advanced Holocaust Studies. Altskan's lecture was entitled, The Missing Page in Museums, the history of Jewish communities as part of the multi-ethnic heritage of Ukraine. The challenge of integrating the history of the Jewish communities of Ukraine into the museums and educational systems of contemporary Ukraine is not a problem unique to that country alone. Ukraine's neighbors in Eastern Europe and the post-Soviet space have grappled with this issue with varying degrees of frustration and success. Altskan made the fundamental point that to provoke interest in other people's lives requires you to show who they were, how they lived, and why they are no longer here. Museums play a key role in showing or not showing all of this. So how is Jewish history presented in Ukrainian museums today? Altskan noted the national network of privately funded Jewish museums with the largest in Dnipro and others in Odessa, Chernivtsi, Kharkiv, Kriviryk, Khmelnytsky, Kherson, Kyiv, and Lviv. Some interesting temporary exhibitions are now being held in state museums, most recently in Lviv. Nonetheless, current Ukrainian public knowledge of Ukrainian Jewish history is fragmentary and incomplete. Why is Ukrainian Jewish history missing? And how can it be returned to the Ukrainian public? Altskan forthrightly listed the problems in developing a jointly acceptable Ukrainian and Jewish narrative for museums and the educational sector. There is a vague and distorted knowledge of each other's history. There is ethnocentrism. There are viewpoints that don't fit into the well-established concerns and canons of each community's history. Altskan identified five problematic areas of history. They include the Hmelnitsky Cossack uprising against the Poles in the 17th century. There was the Haidamak popular rebellion against the Polish regime in the 18th century. There were the pogroms in Russian Tsarist-ruled central and eastern Ukraine in the 19th century. There was the bloody civil war after the Russian Revolution of 1917, followed a couple of decades later by the Holocaust. Altskan asks how all these historic events could be treated by both nations. Do we see these events differently? And why? All of this is aggravated and complicated. Altskan underlined that for much of their history, Jews and Ukrainians lived in two solitudes, in two parallel worlds. 
While a Jewish-Ukrainian dialogue gathered speed in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, fueled by emerging nationalism and Zionism, the Ukrainian state-building project failed to be implemented after the First World War. This tragic failure laid the foundation for worse relations for much of the 20th century. Both nations accused each other of betraying the other. Ironically, as Altskan pointed out, the Ukrainian-Jewish dialogue re-emerged later in the camps of the Soviet Gulag. Jews and Ukrainians shared the same physical space, could openly speak with each other, and despite differences, shared the urge for freedom. This laid the foundation of a new dialogue, augmented by developing academic contacts between the Jewish and Ukrainian diasporas in the West. And of course, as Altskan reminded us, Jews and Ukrainians now have their own independent states and can interact as equals. Furthermore, third parties can't interfere with this dialogue. The challenging question now, as Altskan asks, is what kind of history should we teach and show now in museums? The answer is to avoid a black-and-white approach. It should be multidimensional, with many tints and colors. In Altskan's view, Ukrainian historians and museums should refrain from heroic myths and controversial figures that alienate non-Ukrainians. And Jewish historians should reject outdated, Ukrainophobic approaches. A usable past for both Jews and Ukrainians can stress the more positive features of neighborly relations between the two communities. Find heroes who are consolidating for Ukrainian society those figures who built the economy and industry. Oral history on the local level builds bridges to another culture. As an audience member said in response to Altskan's presentation, people today want to find out how people in the past lived, what brought them together, not what divided them. Altskan underlined that young Ukrainians today are free people who have never experienced slavery. This is crucial for the development of a civil society. It will be a gradual and lengthy process, as the examples of neighboring Poland and Lithuania show, and museums telling the story not only of Ukrainians, but everyone who was in Ukraine, are important in shaping that civil society. This has been Ukrainian Jewish Heritage on Nash Hollis Ukrainian Roots Radio. From San Francisco, I'm Peter Baker. Until next time, Shalom. Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. To find out more about their work, visit their website and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Transcripts and audio files of this and earlier broadcasts of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage are available at their website, ukrainianjewishencounter.org, as well as at the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com. Vyslúchejte rádio programu Náš holos rádio Krínského Koríňa na rádiostanci CHLY 101.7 FM u místi Nenajmo. Hovorit Pavlina. You're listening to Náš holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nenajmo. I'm your host this hour, Pavlina.
Canadian pianist Maria Dolnecki with Waltz by Levko Ruvitsky, 19th century Ukrainian composer. Up next, Nizhures and a traditional Ukrainian patriotic song, Oi Uluzi Chervona Kalena, another song about uh, that highbush cranberry, also known as a gilder rose. Nizhures with Oi Uluzi Chervona Kalena. Червона калина похилилася, чогось наша славна Україна зажурилася, а ми тую червону калину підімемо, а ми нашу славну Україну не розвеселимо. Oh, 
girl group from Montreal by the name of Chedemshena that's been around for a long, long time and a great favorite of mine. And that was a medley of traditional Ukrainian folk songs. Coming up next is another girl group from Montreal, and I think this is going to be another one of my favorites. Uh, they're fairly young. They put out this recording a couple of years ago. They are called Rosa, and here they are now with a song about a different tree, uh, also kind of common in Ukrainian folklore, a poplar tree, Stoyit Topolya. <laughs> Oh, 
Welcome to Knishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, Ukrainian stories in English. In this edition of Knishka Corner, we will be discussing Serhii Plokhi's non-fiction thriller, The Man with the Poison Gun, a Cold War spy story. The Man with the Poison Gun, Serhii Plokhi's first non-fiction thriller, focuses on the life of Bogdan Stashinsky, the assassin who killed Stepan Bandera and Lev Rebet. The very first paragraph sets up a shocking comparison between fiction and real life. In the fall of 1961, while David Cornwell, a British spy more commonly known as Jean Le Carré, was contemplating the writing of his first best-selling novel, the spy who came in from the cold. The West German police were actually interrogating a Soviet spy. That spy was Bogdan Stashinsky. His story begins in 1949, in post-war Ukraine, when Nikita Khrushchev, then the party boss of Ukraine, decided that he needed to destroy the Ukrainian resistance by killing the leader of the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, Oun Stepan Bandera. Bandera had spent years in Polish prisons and the German concentration camp of Schassenhausen. His followers were now headquartered in Munich, the center of the American occupation zone in Germany. In early 1950, Bogdan Stashinsky was arrested by the Soviets for a minor offense and given an ultimatum. Cooperate with the Soviets and become a traitor to Ukraine or face prison time and possible death along with his entire family. Bogdan chose to become an agent of the Soviets. Stashinsky returned from Lviv to his native village and told his relatives that the secret police were hot on his heels. Everyone agreed that under the circumstances he had no choice but to flee to the forest and join the guerrillas. His initial task involved betraying members of the Ukrainian underground, which led to arrests and assassinations. When Stashinsky's family found out the truth about what he had done, Stashinsky had nowhere to go. He had saved his family by betraying it. They did not want to have him around anymore. The secret police would become his new home and family. As an agent of the Soviet secret police, Bogdan would be trained in spycraft and assassination techniques. His weapon was a poison gun, which would immediately kill his target with undetectable poisonous fumes. His initial target in Munich was Lev Rebet a troublesome Ukrainian journalist. The KGB described Rebet as an intellectual leader of the Ukrainian nationalists who wrote articles inciting Ukrainians to fight against the Soviet occupiers. Stashinsky killed Rebet on October the 12th, 1957. After his initial success, he was given a more important target, the leader of Oun, Stepan Bandera. Bandera's assassination was more complex because of his bodyguard, and it involved following the Ukrainian leader for weeks on end. 
However, Stashinsky eventually saw his opportunity when Bandera was alone after a shopping trip and murdered him on October the 15th, 1959, in the stairwell of his home. At first, authorities were mystified by Bandera's death, calling it a stroke or a possible suicide. The poison that killed Bandera left no trace, so it was not until Stashinsky defected to West Germany that he revealed how Bandera died. In order to stay in the West, Stashinsky had to convince German authorities that the KGB wanted to kill him because of what he knew about the Soviet assassination plots. He was eventually tried for the murders of Rabat and Bandera, and his trial opened up the truth to the world for the very first time. The Man with the Poison Gun is a very interesting book about post-war Soviet and European politics. Khrushchev's role in the deaths of Rebet and Bandera was shocking to the world community at the time. Today, the attempted assassination of Ukraine's President Viktor Yushchenko and the successful assassinations of journalist Alexander Litvinenko in London, Sergei Magnitsky in a Russian prison, and Boris Nemtsov on a bridge in Moscow are brutal reminders that the strategies of the post-war KGB are still alive and well in Russia. Plotky was able to write his book because of the information he gathered from Stashinsky's trial testimony as well as recently released historical documents, such as KGB and CIA archives. His extensive notes will be very useful to anyone wanting to know more about post-war Ukrainian resistance. Plotky is a historian, not a writer of spy thrillers like John le Carré or Ian Fleming, and he has difficulty describing Stashinsky's moral qualms about killing his victims. He tells readers that in his early days as a Soviet agent, Bogdan was confused since he had been raised as a Christian. The idea of killing another human being was difficult for him to contemplate. However, Bogdan did proceed to kill both Rabbit and Bandera regardless of his confusion. Despite these issues, Plaki's book is an interesting and revealing expose of Stashinsky's life as a Soviet agent and his role in the murders of Rabbit and Bandera. Readers will be surprised to learn that Ian Fleming actually modeled part of his novel The Man with the Golden Gun on the actions of Bogdan Stashinsky. Although The Man with the Poison Gun is Serhii Plaki's first nonfiction thriller, He has written extensively on the history of Ukraine and Eastern Europe. His most recent works include The Gates of Europe, A History of Ukraine, The Last Empire, The Final Days of the Soviet Union, and The Cossack Myth, History and Nationhood in the Age of Empires. Plaki was born in Russia to Ukrainian parents, but grew up and went to school in Ukraine. He received his Ph.D. in history from Kiev University. He was a professor of history and associate director of the Peter Yatsik Center for Ukrainian Historical Research at the University of Alberta. He is currently 
the Mikhaila Khrushchevsky Professor of Ukrainian History at Harvard University. The Man with the Poison Gun is available at Chapters Indigo and Amazon. Thanks, Myra. Join us again soon for another edition of Kanishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Vyslouchejte radio programu Náš holos Radio Ukrajinského Koríně, která podíjecí vám na chvíli CHLY o den 0 o den 7 FM u místí Nenajmo. Hovorič Pavlina. You're listening to Náš holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, broadcasting live at CHLY 101.7 FM in beautiful downtown Nenajmo. I'm your host, Pavlina. <laughs> From the Interlake area of Manitoba, that was the Interlake Polka Kings, and um, dance folk dance that's not really Ukrainian uh, an origin, strictly speaking, but certainly we've all kind of adopted it, so we like it. It's the it, that was the Prairie Shotis, and coming up next, a group closer to home 
from right here in the Fraser Valley. They are called the Ukrainian Prairie Band, and here they are with another classic that Ukrainians love. We're not really sure that the origins are quite authentic, but here they are now, the Ukrainian Prairie Band, with the classic beloved Who Stole the Kishka. And our proverb of the week translates as Where there is no harmony, there are all kinds of evil. And that brings us to the end of the first hour of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Please stay with us as Oksana takes over the microphone to host the next hour. Meanwhile, please join me here again next Wednesday at 11 a.m. And until then, do stay in touch with both Oksana and me on Facebook and Twitter. Like our Facebook page and check out the Nasholos website where you can get the podcast links as well as a link to our blog and other information about the show. And that's www.nasholos.com. So stay tuned next for the Nasholos Ukrainian Hour with Oksana, followed by World Beat Canada with Vancouver's Cal Coat, and at 2 p.m. join our own Gord Bibby for two hours of golden oldies on Groovin' with Bibby G. I'm Pavlina. Thanks so much for listening. Dozu Sirichi.
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.